everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Chapter Surfing. This month we are going to be talking about Watchmen, the graphic novel, and the 2019 HBO miniseries. And my guest is EJ Fettis. Hi. You know him from the Justified episode of this podcast and his podcast Fed Talks. Thank you for being here, EJ. Thank you. And definitely people are more likely to know me from the Justified episode. <laughs> Uh, I'm 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 a bit of a niche product, but thank you um, for having me again. Yeah, I I know you're a big uh, a big Watchmen expert, and will be a big contrast to me. I think I'm like the only person on Earth who just read Watchmen this <laughs> year. <laughs> You, you you missed the various uh, peaks in popularity that have happened over the years, and you sort of wanted to wait until it was, uh, I mean, it, it's an evergreen, but, you know, a lot of people are getting into Sandman now with the the uh, the Netflix show, but you're, you're, you're one prestige TV show behind. <laughs> yeah, I'll get into Sandman three years from now. Um, so, yeah, I had totally avoided it like I had seen I mean avoided sounds like on purpose but I mean totally missed it I'd seen like the Dr. Manhattan memes on Twitter and like heard people talk about it sort of in reference to like heroes and the boys and stuff like that so I had an idea of what it was um but yeah so a couple months ago, I read the comic for the first time and then watched the show after. Um, I'm sure your timeline of consuming Watchmen is much more complex than that. <laughs> Do you want to uh, just kind of take us through the whole story, including um, anything else you may have consumed, like the Zack Snyder movie and anything that all leading up to you watching the show? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm always excited to talk Watchmen. Uh I am, since I am both older and nerdier than you, uh, <laughs> I I was too young to get Watchmen when it was coming out because it was it was labeled mature readers and I was, uh, probably could have handled it, but I wasn't old enough for my local store's liking. <laughs> so I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't read it in single issues. I probably, uh... No, I I, re- I read it for the first time, I remember, in 1992. Mm. Uh, and I remember that because I was officially old enough for the for the, the responsible comic stores to sell me whatever I wanted. And also mm. there was a girl I liked who lived next to a really snooty comic store. So <laughs> I would go there before I would visit her. And they would always try to sell me on a bunch of art comics and... Uh, uh, many of which did not take, but Watchmen was something I'd been curious about since I was young, and they wouldn't let me read it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I loved it in the way that a, a, a bratty 17-year-old is obviously going to love something like that. <laughs> uh, but it it's... I keep coming back... Like, I used to reread it every year, and that became excessive. So now... Mm-hmm. It, year and a half or two years or so uh sometimes just to uh you know see see how it feels now that i'm older and uh i guess we'll we'll get more to that later but yeah along the way i saw the the movie uh which is and i'm 
I, I don't even want to go into this. Uh, I am not a <laughs> Zack Snyder fan. Mm-hmm. The Watchmen movie is, it's fine. It's got a lot of the things about his style that I don't like. And it's, you know, hugely truncated. And, uh, but, you know, if you, if, if, if watching it is your experience with Watchmen, cool. I got, I got no beef with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently listened to an old podcast where somebody was talking about the excessive amount of animation that went into uh, Dr. Manhattan's uh, penis. Like, <laughs> apparently it moves a lot, which I don't remember. But um, And then over the years before the TV show, they, they for a long time they didn't touch Watchmen, and then suddenly DC realized how much they like money. <laughs> and... You know, some of that is due to a the reason for not touching it was partly some respect and a fallout with Alan Moore, which we can probably talk more about later because I bet I'll, I'll have details that will surprise you. Hmm. One of them is that Alan Moore is a weird guy. <laughs> uh, they did these these uh, prequel series called Before Watchmen that focused on different characters, and they were uniformly pretty terrible. Hmm. Like just miserable, uh, and then they did. <laughs> right around the time of the TV series, they did uh, a series called Doomsday Clock, which was a Watchmen sequel set in the DC universe. Hmm. Okay. Like the premise was either that the world that Doctor Manhattan was talking about creating is the DC universe or he found the DC universe and changed the history of it hmm. uh, and was responsible for the continuity reboot that happened a few years before, <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny to think that the reason King shark became a, ha- a hammerhead is uh, because of Dr. Manhattan <laughs> and, and that, with no input from any anybody involved with Watchmen is genuinely one of the worst mainstream comics I've ever read. Like it's wow. it's comedically bad. Mm-hmm. And then the TV show comes along, and I've been burned by ancillary Watchmen, but also it's David Lindelof, fresh off the leftovers. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my 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 Watchmen history. Uh, I'm not tipping my hand as to whether I like the TV show, but <laughs> I mentioned Damon Lindelof and The Leftovers. <laughs> so um, another thing I wanted to ask you is when when you first read it and also when you reread it, um, do you read everything? Like this is something I've been wondering because like I, when I was reading it, I started off reading everything and I like tweeted a picture of... Um, one of the like interviews with Ozymandias and like said something about it. And someone replied to me and was like, Whoa, are you reading the stuff the like <laughs> ancillary stuff in between issues of Watchmen? And I was like, yeah, like it's in there. It was in there when they published it. Was I like not supposed to? <laughs> <laughs> the first time I did read it all. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of re- remember what was interesting or useful Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of the the history stuff like the the history about the minutemen some of that is super crucial to the tv series because like hooded justice 
is in like three panels of the comic and gets a little fleshed out in that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then there's also uh, uh, like a the like a report on ornithology written by one of the night owls, <laughs> which yeah. is not in any way useful or interesting. Or it's like, oh, guess this guy really likes owls. <laughs> yeah, I think as it went on more, I think I started off reading everything and then I started scanning more because of like stuff like that. And I definitely remembered like the history of the popularity of pirate media. I think I definitely <laughs> ended up like scanning that part. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's like interesting from a world building perspective, but <laughs> there is no reason for somebody to sit and read through all the all of the <laughs> pirate backstory. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that was part of the <laughs> part of the extra stuff. Um. Usually if there is uh if it contains art, whether it's uh usually presented as like a newspaper photo of a character that you recognize, that's a good sign that it's worth reading. Right. <laughs> if there's if it's all text or it's like, yep, that is definitely a pirate, no, you can you can move on. Um so then uh I'm assuming for the TV show you watched it every week as as new episodes are being released. Yes, and I they tried to simulate that feeling of the extra material and had a lot of exclusive online stuff not even mm-hmm. not even video clips like it was more like the comic where it's like oh you can read uh Lori Blake's notes or mm. uh like that was the only place you could find out who the who the slippery guy was that slid into the sewer when Lori chased him <laughs> they revealed his identity there but not in the TV show presumably because it wasn't all that important he was a weird slippery guy <laughs> But yeah, I watched it. Yeah, watched it faithfully, and I, I, I was writing recaps until I stopped because I kind of stopped recapping everything. But that was not Watchmen's mm. fault. It was partly I was having an issue with my vision that made it very hard to watch TV carefully <laughs> enough. That that's beyond the scope of chapter surfing. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So since I you know binged it after the fact uh what was sort of that experience like as far as the was there a big communal experience with it um that made it either extra enjoyable or extra frustrating or anything with all the people watching it it was it was a little bit of both um and remind me i want to hear about the binge experience i have specific questions about the binge experience in 2022 Mm -hmm. but uh it was there was a pretty good fan leftover style fan community but the Watchmen fandom has had toxic elements always like the people who are way too into Rorschach (laughs) and then there are the people who are mad on Alan Moore's behalf which is reasonable and also sometimes not Mm -hmm. uh, who are just bad faith unwilling to engage with it but what was a lot of fun for me was I had friends who had not read it or seen the movie, and there was just so much talk about the TV show that they were interested in it. Mm. 
And so I, I kind of whipped up a primer for those people of just like, these are the main characters from the comic. This is what happens to them. Um, so you'll know when their image comes up, what their deal is. And so I have, I have friends who never read very few or no comics and they went into the Watchmen TV show, just sort of having this bare minimum. This is Azamandius, who Azamandius is. This is who Dr. Manhattan is. And the experience of watching it with them was really, it was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Like it was kind of the closest way to, like I, I'm interested in how it holds up, I guess not holds up, but how it goes down for you as a first time reader slash viewer now. But it's it's really hard to recapture the kick of reading that at 17 right at that time in my life. Right. And seeing people experience those characters in this interesting way. Like, I'll just come out. I really like the TV show, and I have been I have been a little bit worried for days that maybe you hate it and I'm going to get roasted for it. <laughs> or just look less cool. Um, less cool. But, but people experiencing the TV show for the first time and meeting the characters this way and meeting the new characters alongside them. So like uh, uh, Angela Abar is just as real a character to them as Adrian Vite because they, they met them at the same time. Right. That was just secondhand. That was really exciting to me to, it's fun when people, people uh, become a part of something you love. And then when they're, they're taking in the new version of it the same time you are, it's, I don't know. It's really, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it more than any online discourse, I think. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I can ask, what, what was it like to, to take in, like, here's a specific question I have, and, and, and I, I'm interested in the whole experience, but I, I, I just, uh, this is a thing that I've been thinking about ever since you said that you read it for the first time. For you, was it sort of like before you started? It was like, well, I know all the points of it. I know the I know Doctor Manhattan sitting on Mars. I know I did it thirty five minutes ago. Did it sort of feel like when there's a, a movie from the seventies that you haven't seen? And you're like, well, I've heard every, <laughs> I know every scene because it gets referenced all the time. Was that in your head? And it's I, I just want to hear your Watchmen experience. But that was a a specific thing that jumped to mind. Yeah, you know, that aspect, I think, actually didn't impact it that much. Um, especially because, like, I knew, I had heard, like, the names Dr. Matten and Ozymandias and, like, separately seen different visuals and stuff. But I knew so little about, like, what those characters actually are supposed to be um, that I feel like that didn't didn't matter too much like I think the I did it 30 minutes ago thing hit pretty well because I wasn't expecting it in that moment um the meme the like Dr. Manhattan meme stuff was so different in context also it was very funny being used to the memes where he has a huge butt finding out that like (laughs) that's that's a goof (laughs) he he has a regular butt (laughs) um but uh no, it was it was interesting reading it in 2022 as like a grown up, and I kind of wish I had re- read it in high school 
because um, it is, I think, the kind of thing that is meant to be read early in life when it'll kind of like blow your mind. Um, and I, ha- I had a little bit of a similar feeling to the closest thing uh the closest thing i would use to describe it is like when the last jedi came out i don't know if this was your experience but like for for like months and months i had people saying like extremely strong feelings they had about the last jedi in either direction and being like oh love it or hate it it will blow away everything you think about star wars and then like i finally watched it and i was like that's a star wars movie okay (laughs) Um, and Watchmen was sort of the same thing where I read it and was like, that's a comic. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I, I get that. That's, you know, when I, when I read it, the internet didn't exist. So Watchmen was this thing that I knew was important, but I knew very little specifically about it. Mm -hmm. So I could go in without expectations other than everybody says this is good. Right. And like, yeah, The Last Jedi, I saw opening weekend and I did have very uh, strong. I I actually did think it was going to it potentially could blow Star Wars wide open in ways that were not explored. But I wasn't going around saying that to people <laughs> because way to ruin their movie going experience by telling them <laughs> that. Right. Um, yeah, I think that is always kind of frustrating is like when people make you expect a thing. And it just, like, always ends up being like, wait, where was the thing? Um, But, uh, yeah, and I think a big part of it was there have been so many things that are sort of, I think, probably fairly considered to be Watchmen ripoffs. But, like, me having seen them first, I feel like um, there was, like, some ways those things actually did stuff, like, better um like the boys i think is a more interesting like direct criticism of like uh the commercialism um, of the superhero like entertainment complex and like how it affects everyone Mm -hmm. and like heroes which like on some intellectual level, I know it's, like, not better than Watchmen, but I felt like Watchmen didn't have the same feeling of, like, truly regular people, like, in a in a superhero universe, you know? Right. I would agree with you. Um, so, I, yeah, I feel like those, those experiences led it to being sort of not as impressive, along with the fact that, like, obviously now superhero media is all so mu- is also like dark and complex um like when i read it i was sort of like you know like i'd heard this is darker and more complex and then you read it and you're like like compared to what like yeah that's... even like the even sort of like the superhero cartoons that children can watch now i think have like a fair amount of like moral depth to them Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that, and this is impossible to put into, into context because partly because of our age difference and our vast age difference in when we read it. Right. Uh, like a lot of that, that complexity that's there now is, is because people read Watchmen when they were 17. Right. Yeah, and exactly. It, it kind of made every, and 
you know, I, I, I don't think you can, can, can put yourself in the place of, of what superhero comics were like in 1987. <laughs> like DC was actually, was really trying to do interesting things and they were, they were taking these steps, but it was, it was, you know, things were fairly what they had always been for 30 years. And then, uh, then it swung too far when people went, oh, you can do this. And then you ended up with, you know, 10 years of, of grim and gritty and everybody's sad all the time and they have blood between their teeth. And, <laughs> but when, when it came out, there was, there was just absolutely nothing like it. It was still, you know, the 80s X-Men was not, modern day X-Men, you know, it was, it, it, it was so different from anything that existed then. And yeah, what's coming heroes season one has a lot of, of kind of Watchmen lifts. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you see it, you see its influence everywhere provided that you, you read it before you saw the things that were influenced by it. <laughs> right. It's, it's like when they made the movie of, of uh, John Carter of John Carter of Mars. The you do you remember you don't, wouldn't remember it. It was only a few years ago, and nobody saw it. It was like a hundred million dollar <laughs> flop. Right. I yeah. I re just remembered like people talking about how big a flop it was. That's all I really know about it. Yeah, and and the movie's fine, but everything in it seems derivative because it's based on a story from a hundred years ago and everybody <laughs> ripped that off. So it's like, you know, when you see it in the movie, it's like, oh yeah, just like in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> right. And I, I, I'm not trying to necessarily defend the the, the work of noted uh, colonialism apologist Edgar Rice Burroughs, but, uh, uh, you know, Tarzan and John Carter are both about a white guy showing up and teaching everybody how to do their job better. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I don't really wish to defend him, but it, yeah, when the movie comes out 100 years later after everybody stole it, it's like, yeah, no duh, this is this is so by the numbers. But at the time, it sort of it was the one that put down the numbers. Mm -hmm. Alan Moore would yeah. hate that I compared him to Edgar Rice Burroughs. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think the experience of reading Watchmen now. Um, I also think there's sort of this unfortunate thing where I think like a lot of the stuff in a, it about sort of like, um, particularly like sexual violence and, um, like homosexuality, I feel like mm -hmm. I'm guessing the fact that it like touched on those things at all was like pretty groundbreaking, but then reading it now i feel like the way it incorporates them is a lot of the time like pretty like painful to read in 2022 yeah that that's and part of that is a problem with alan moore who is i i, I wish to make it clear that i i respect him a lot i think he would hate me if he knew me but <laughs> i don't think he's ever written a major work that didn't have sexual violence in it like he's not especially watchmen era w women are kind of an afterthought in a lot of his work up to a certain point mm -hmm. you know and that's 
one of the few ways he can characterize women is by making them a, a victim of sexual violence. And it's something that he goes to again and again. And part of that is the 80s, but it took him a while to get out of that. And yeah, we, yeah, so that part of Watchmen is very, oh yeah, this is his, this is, this is his thing. She's a female character. That's the only way he can characterize her. It's, it's, it's unpleasant, which is, is so shocking about how the TV show is put, puts, I mean, it's, it's the story of women, really. Mm. You know, that's, that's a, I don't know. I, I think Alan Moore tends to drop the ball with women a lot of the time and, and Watchmen TV comes along and says, hey, you know who our lead is? A black woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Watchmen is not super great on race either to the extent that when they did the terrible doomsday clock, it was revealed the new Rorschach was black. And everybody figured out immediately who he was because they figured he had to be connected to Watchmen and the only black character with dialogue is Rorschach's psychologist. And they're like, oh, he must be the son of Rorschach's psychologist because there are no other black characters he could be <laughs> connected to. And it's like, yeah, sure enough, it took nine issues to reveal that. But <laughs> Yeah, and, like, I found it was so weird uh, how, like, multiple different unrelated times it would, like, bring up a gay character just to be like, they were gay, but they're dead now, which, like, you know, since the timeline is so long and complex, at, while I was reading it, I didn't think them being dead would necessarily be an obstacle. But then it was like, no, they're they're actually never returning to that person. And um, especially the the hooded justice, the first time they mention him being gay, it's also the first time they call him HJ. And I was like, yeah. oh, is his his whole life and death just an elaborate hand job joke? Oh no. <laughs> How has that never occurred to me until now? <laughs> yeah, I can see where that is. That is shocking to take it in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not specifically, like, it didn't just become shocking now. I don't mean to imply that. Right. It, you know, it's it it stands out less to me, partly because it at the time I read it in my life, it was... You mentioned a gay character. That's really progressive. Right. <laughs> Gays exist in this world. That's amazing, Alan Moore. <laughs> so here, here, I've already tipped my hand on the TV show, which is shocking in 2022 for different reasons. Uh, how did you feel about the TV show? I have been, I'm on pins and needles for this. <laughs> yeah, so... Unfortunately, I wish I could be more reassuring because I do know how much you like it. I did have a lot of trouble with it. Partially, I think, I think if it had started with episode two, I might not have been so sort of viscerally upset with it. Um, but it gets, it starts off on a really weird foot first up i guess i'll like talk about sort of the 
baggage I had going in. Like there were reasons I was like skeptical about what it would do. And mm -hmm. I feel like it didn't really prove my skepticism wrong. Um, one thing, so I knew vaguely some things about it, including that it sort of deals with themes related to like Black Lives Matter and abolish the police. And that made me really nervous because I love, I love the leftovers, but there's this super weird thing where um, in Tom Parada's novel, Kevin is just like a business owner and the mayor of the town. And for no reason, Damon Lindelof was like, oh, what if actually the protagonist was the chief of police and his son was also a cop and they both shoot people and get away with it? So I like knew going in that Damon Lindelof is weird about that stuff and like has a history of inserting sympathy for cops where there wasn't any <laughs> um and i will also say i had seen some i have witnessed some white people being like weirdly smug and proud about how it opens on the tulsa massacre like way too much um and it's just, like, weird that that's something that, like, made white people feel good about themselves watching the show. Um, but, yeah, so I, so I, like, went in skeptical. And then the first episode just really sort of confirms my worst fears because there's this sequence that I just think is absolutely insane where... Um, in this world, they take some precautions to keep cops from easily accessing their guns. And there's mm -hmm. a whole sequence where that get puts a cop in danger. And it's just so hard to not feel like no matter where the rest of the show goes and like what other context that is, that they just like, sh like point blank, like flat out shouldn't have put that sequence in the show. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and sort of just like all the kind of subversions, like the thought experiments of like, what if it was black people lynching white chief of polices? I was just sort of like, is that like, <laughs> you know, worth bringing up when you can, you know, when you could have done anything for your Watchmen show? Like, why is that? the theoretical scenario you even want to like engage with you know mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of the rest of the show is not as brutal as that first episode but it was so weird for a show to want to put that foot forward like even even going in being like i'm sure there'll be lots of like twists and some versions and stuff along the way it was just it just felt like an episode that shouldn't like really exist. Yeah, you, that I certainly am am uncomfortable taking any other position. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, will I mean, say, I know. Oh, oh sorry. I, I was just gonna say, like, I know, like, a a lot, a lot of people that I like, like the majority of people I know and respect, like think it is like one of the best TV shows. So I'm not trying to say that like my reaction is like the only reaction, but that is 
that it was just such a like visceral thing for me of just being like, I don't want to be experiencing this right now. Oh, I, I totally get that. And a lot of that is things I wouldn't have thought of had you not said it. I, I will admit rewatching it now, I did blanch at some of that stuff. And part of it was it, you know, this was shot in 2018, aired in 2019 when, uh, I mean, you are more plugged in than I am, but for suburban white people, we had not really heard defund the police at this point. That didn't, mm -hmm. you know, six months after this, it becomes a very real thing that's on our mind all of the time. Mm -hmm. So there's a, and yeah, David Lindelof's uh, views on cops are a little uh, 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 hard to justify. But the way I think of it, and I don't think it would have been done the same way, you know, post 2020 when, when, like, when it was a, a, it was not an ignorable fact of life for anybody, no matter how comfortable they are. Mm -hmm. um, to, okay, so this was 2019. This came out about the same time as the as I say the final. I assume who knows? Maybe there's more uh, Rambo movie, mm. which is about Rambo going to Mexico uh, to save a white girl from Mexicans, killing a bunch of Mexican people, and then luring them back to America so he can kill more of them. And it's 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 indefensible and terrible on every level. But I, I say but as if I'm going to defend Rambo. I am not. <laughs> the way it felt to me at the time watching it even was, uh, okay, so Rambo is a conservative, uh, conservative power fantasy of what if I could just kill people who are different from me? And mm. Watchmen is a liberal power fantasy of what if cops cared about, the, about white supremacists and even then a lot of them turn out to be white supremacists? <laughs> like like I I say this as a as as a uh person on the left. I don't know what the right word is. Um not a centrist. Uh Democrats are even bad at power fantasies. Right? <laughs> like, what if the police sort of cared except for the ones who were also evil? That is that's as big as they can think in terms of And and I I am maybe being too charitable when I say there's an element of that to it, but yeah, everything with masked cops in, in really f for most of America was shocking at the time, but for relatively comfortable middle-class to upper-class white people within about a month after the show aired was like, Oh no, wait, <laughs> you know, there's a, yeah, there, there's, if you're more more thoughtful than I am, and I'm certainly not going to. Uh, uh, yes, you you've made me rethink a lot of. Whereas I'm just a, I I'm the kind of dork who is just going. Yeah, see that he's he's leaving his home. He's he's stashed away in a vehicle that's leaving his home as it burns, just like Superman. That's, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm that kind of dipshit. Whereas <laughs> you are approaching it thoughtfully. But uh, I, I, I do, th I think there's so much good stuff in it after that point. Mm -hmm. uh, right. I'm, 
you know, I would have watched. I wish it had been a network show that went six seasons because I would have loved it if they just kept cutting to Jeremy Irons doing increasingly <laughs> bizarre puttering around. God, that stuff is so good. Um, I love that Tom Meisen from Sleepy Hollow is there. I know, <laughs> like, I know people audition for things, but, like, in my mind, Damon Lindelof is just, like, watching The Secret Circle and Sleepy Hollow and, like, scouting for hunks all the time. <laughs> hey, can we talk about something casting-wise? Sure. I mean, and... You know, there's plenty of room to get specific on this show, which had some some killer casting, including uh, Gene Smart being every cool older lady on television for about five years. <laughs> but, and maybe I talked about this with you on my podcast. It was definitely somebody, and because I, it it was a while ago and I can't remember, but nobody from the from Lost is on the leftovers. Hmm. So many showrunners come back to people or they elevate a secondary uh, performer. You know, uh, uh, David Milch, if you were on Deadwood, he put you, you know, he tried to put you in John from Cincinnati or Luck. Uh, Stephen Conrad re- has like this traveling circus he puts in everything. <laughs> Even like, uh, you know, the the Tina Fey comedy conglomerate and uh, uh, Michael Schur. You know, you think Michael Schur is ever going to make mm-hmm. a show that doesn't have a role for Adam Scott? <laughs> and nobody from Lost is in The Leftovers. And then Regina Hall is the only person from The Leftovers who swings over to Watchmen. And she is prominent in both. Mm-hmm. And that that's so unusual. For, and I, I don't know why, if he just wants to work with different people. But I think it's so cool that the one time he's like, yeah, no, I, I have to have this person. Um. You know, it it just struck me as the one. I will say that Paula Belcomson has a small role on both Lost and and Watchmen, but you know that's just sort of unavoidable, right? Uh, um, yeah, that is interesting. It's yeah, it, it it just strikes me as all of these amazing performers that were on The Leftovers, like one of the best ensemble. Just everybody in it is just a just an all-timer you've got all that and he comes away with i gotta write a show for regina hall that's (laughs) right yeah that's like better than an emmy (laughs) it's i don't know it it jumped out to me it it's Hmm. because i i was watching it this time through just looking for anybody from lost or the leftovers and uh, now I'm going to yeah, feel like I, an idiot I, and, and it'll be like, well, don't you remember on The Leftovers, there was that six episode arc when Jorge Garcia was the new principal. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm old and I forget things, but. I feel like I remember there being like a weird, very specific contingent that was like predicting Justin Theroux on The Leftovers as a major character for like no good reason, except that like people fans just like doing that of being like obviously dr manhattan's gonna be justin Thoreau. <laughs> yeah right up to the finale people were saying he was gonna show up as night owl who doesn't appear in the series at all <laughs> wouldn't a night owl be like way older than that oh he's absolutely it didn't make sense okay. <laughs> or maybe he'd be the new night owl which of course why not have a third <laughs> third night owl he'd be the the jaime reyes of 
of uh, night owls. Right. Actually, I, I feel like I should explain that. This is something I alluded to. Uh, it's a, a, a Watchmen thing. Um, and, and maybe you already know this. or, But, you know, in, in the event you don't, this will be maybe be interesting. Because part of the issue with Watchmen is Alan Moore thinks he should own it. And at the time, DC was like, yeah, as soon as it's out of print for 10 years, you, you'll own it. It's yours. And then, obviously, it never went out of print. Mm. And uh, Alan Moore is also, he will not allow his name on any adaptations of his work. So if you notice the credits at the end of Watchmen, it says, based on characters co-created by Dave Gibbons. <laughs> Um, so, you know, From Hell and V from Vendetta and Watchmen and his his artists always just get the checks for those. Mm. Which, you know, for some of those artists is sort of life-changing. But he, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which nobody wanted their names on, really. <laughs> um, he just, he wants no part of it. In fact, he's such a weirdo. Marvel bought the rights to... They they acquired Miracle Man, which was a series he did before he was famous in England. And they were publishing it again, and he wouldn't allow them. And I don't think he can actually stop them. He wouldn't allow them to credit him as the writer in the reprints. Mm. So it's just credited to, quote, the original writer, unquote. <laughs> which, you know, in Judeo-Christian circles, I guess would be God. <laughs> Um, but he's a weird, so, but he originally, let me backtrack what, God, this is, this is going to be unbearable to listen to. Just some nerd trying to tell you everything he knows about superheroes. Uh, this comes out, this comes out late eighties in the mid eighties. DC bought several publishers that had gone, that had gone under years ago. And one of them was Charlton. Um, and those characters, uh, characters like Blue Beetle and The Question and uh, uh, Peacemaker, who it took them 40 years to make any money off of. But <laughs> So Alan Moore originally wrote Watchmen for the Charlton characters. Like, all of the characters mapped kind of one-to-one. Night Owl was Blue Beetle. Uh, even from the fact that there were was one in the 40s and one later, there were two Blue Beetles. Uh, Rorschach is the question. The comedian was Peacemaker. Dr. Manhattan is Captain Adam. Uh, Ozymandias is... That makes is... sense, because when I was reading it, I was like, I'm having a lot of trouble tracking who these characters are, like, supposed to be. Right. Your your sort of inclination on, on stuff like that is to map it to known superheroes and go, like, well, is... Because is... Night Owl and Rorschach are sort of the Batman. Mm-hmm. Um... And and uh, uh, Ozymandias is Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt, who you have never heard of. <laughs> and uh, more more evidence of Alan Moore not being super great with women in this. Uh, uh, Silk Spectre is Nightshade, but he didn't know anything about Nightshade, so he just made her based on the Phantom Lady, who was from a different publisher that DC acquired. <laughs> so she doesn't fit in with her other uh, uh, matchups. And then DC, they they were like, well, it, it, cool, but we're going to put Blue Beetle and Captain Adam on the Justice League, and the question has his own series, and uh, there's this high school kid who we think will want to do something with Peacemaker eventually. So uh, 
no, you can't do that. And then he, so he, you know, did a palette swap and made the, put ink on the questions mask and made him into Rorschach and that sort of thing. So, you know, it, it's weird to consider the moral issues of whether he should own Watchmen when he explicitly wrote it for characters he didn't own. <laughs> right. And it's, like, when you know it, it it's, you know, Night, Night Owl's owl ship is Blue Beetle's bug without the legs. <laughs> like, the... <laughs> Before I forget, I want to say what I think is the funniest thing in watch in the Watchmen uh, in the comic, which is not, I don't think meant as a joke, but it makes me laugh real hard every time. Is that when when Night Owl and Rorschach go to Antarctica? Night Owl has a special costume made for Arctic adventures, <laughs> <laughs> which you know he has never used before. And it's very funny to think either he had to stop off at home and get that, or he just always had it in his ship. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, I finally get to bust this 90s Batman variant action figure uh, of them to, yeah, of course, he has a suit just meant for snow adventures. <laughs> <laughs> it tickles me, but yeah, so if if anybody from Watchmen seemed a little familiar and you couldn't place it, they were all these sort of second tier uh, second tier characters and yeah no that that makes it make so much more sense because yeah I like went in being like okay I think like Warshock is Batman comedian is like <laughs> Joker if he was a good guy Dr. Manhattan is Superman except not similar to him at yeah, all <laughs> I, it's it yeah they 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 halfway map to iconic characters, but totally map to these weirdos who many of you, <laughs> you know, you would know from uh, from Brave and the Bold at the very least. Uh, in a mm -hmm. a as for, as for Rorschach, a couple, if I can keep being boring about comics for a second. Uh, so the the question is his progenitor. And at the time this was going on, there was a, a question series, which is one of my top three DC series of all time. I don't know how it would read to you, a young person in 2022, but it, it, it holds up really well. And it was, uh, I mean, for me, it does at least like the politics are on point. Reading this in college is what changed my politics in, in all honesty. And there's an issue where the question picks up a copy of Watchmen and reads it and has a dream about Rorschach. And like, so he meets Rorschach in his dream and they come away just hating one another. And another <laughs> thing of it is, uh, um, Steve Ditko is the artist who he co-created Spider-Man and Doctor Strange for Marvel. And he did a lot of work at Charlton. Mm -hmm. He created the question and he created the the second Blue Beetle and Captain Adam, um, not Peacemaker, but, you know, those sort of the three who are kind of the main focus of Minus Azamandius, who's a whole separate thing of a character nobody ever cared about. Uh, and his his politics are are worrying, quite frankly. Like, Steve Ditko got really into Ayn Rand. And so a lot of Watchmen... 
mm. is kind of a parody of actual Steve Ditko's beliefs in Rorschach is like Steve Ditko taken to his extreme, which is very rude to Steve Ditko. Hmm. But it's, <laughs> you know, and some people use that as evidence that Alan Moore is a little bit of an asshole to, uh, you know, sort of specifically invoke Ayn Rand, you know, like all of the, the great artists disappearing and it turns out they're being holed up in this valley of sorts, which is from Atlas Shrugged and also from Watchmen. And it's like, that. it is a little <laughs> shitty to Steve Ditko, but also, you know, Steve Ditko embraced Anne Rand to the extent that he didn't believe it was uh, ethical to sell his original art. And had he done that, he could have been comfortable as an old man. It's Steve Ditko's story is very sad, quite frankly. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, mm. like, his politics are sort of directly refuted in Watchmen, which they need to be and also feels like they're picking on an old man who helped create comics as we know them. Right. Um, that was so boring. I apologize. Just <laughs> oh, no. looking for an excuse to talk about weird-ass Steve Ditko. <laughs> Uh, the did you watch Justice League Unlimited? The question on that show mm -hmm. is them doing a parody of Rorschach rather than how the question was ever portrayed. <laughs> like insane conspiracy conspiracy. Oh, interesting. Okay. I cannot say the word conspiracy theorist. Man, that was a Mike Mitchell moment right there. That's a parody of Rorschach, whereas <laughs> in the in the comics at the time. He was a guy who was was really zen and was trying to understand the the truth and sort of eschewing violence. So the question is a very complicated character, mm -hmm. but uh, Rorschach really had an influence on how he appeared almost uniformly post-Watchmen. It's also the reason that uh, Blue Beetle eventually had a weight problem. Like that was, oh, that, wow. that's sort of a thing that they don't always address, but it comes up from time to time. And uh, yeah, because uh, Dan Dreberg was out of shape. So now sometimes Blue Beetle is. And they often try to make Captain Adam <laughs> into Dr. Manhattan and it never takes because Captain Adam does not have that sort of gravitas to make it work. Like he's DC's second most interesting <laughs> nuclear powered character. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have dominated so much with by talking about old comics. I, I feel free to get this back on track at any moment. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, let's just talk about, I guess, um, sort of what the show did with the. Obviously, it has a lot of original characters, but I guess let's talk about the characters from the comics. Um, uh, obviously. Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias right. and Lori being the big ones. Um, yeah, what, what did you think of uh, what, the I, what the show did with those three? I kind of loved it. I mean, Jeremy Irons is the perfect older Ozymandias. Mm -hmm. Like, that's... <laughs> I, w I was so tickled by that. And just having him be a weird guy who was 
being held captive on a game preserve that was actually in space. Like, that felt very on point to me. Uh, what they did with Dr. Manhattan I thought was really interesting and, and, and smart to keep him out of it as much as they could because once he's in it, it's a story about Dr. Manhattan. You know, you can't... And he's a... Right, yeah. Here, here's the thing with Dr. Manhattan is it's hard to make him work outside of comics because, you know, he works like the reader does in the comic. Like, he can't really influence events, but he knows what's... And he, can, he can go through time forwards or backwards or whatever speed he wants mm -hmm. because he's just flipping through the pages. He knows he's going to kill Rorschach, and he... Do we have to have spoilers? <laughs> uh, no, I... I mean, I guess I should have put a warning at the beginning, but I hope people know I, that we're going to talk I, I about the whole comic I feel like it would be weird to, to listen to it and, and uh, not be familiar with either, and that's, like, the first thing you learn. Um, but, like, he knows he's going to kill Rorschach, and he doesn't have any say in the matter. And, and so that's that's really specific to reading comics, and that that doesn't work on TV. So they, they don't really... They they mostly leave his powers out of it for as much as they can. They have him hidden away. And what they did was when I when I realized what they did, I was so excited. It was such a, I thought it was such a smart thing to do with that character. And uh, uh, Lori Blake, I feel is not. She gets the short end of the stick in the comic in a lot of ways. And I, I mean, Jean Smart is great and just. I don't know. Her character worked so well for me, and there were things she did that I feel like they played her much as they would have played a uh, kind of self-destructive man in that position. And, like, if it had been Michael Chiklis playing Laurie Blake, it would not have been at all surprising that he shoots <laughs> the guy at the funeral. You know, and when she did it, it's like, wait, no, she should right. know better. And that was an interesting reaction I was having. Um, but yeah, I was I was really, I thought it was all, it was interesting stuff to do with these characters who've been, been with me for so long. How, how about you? You you know you're kind of taking it all in as one thing. How did that work for you? Yeah, I really liked a lot of it. Um, the Dr. Manhattan, I think just like the visuals were really, really good. Um, Cause I think like that kind of character mm -hmm. is hard to do in like live action, especially um, a live action show that's like mostly looks pretty realistic, but I thought like Dr. Manhattan looked really, really good. Um, and uh, I kind of like, I feel like this aspect is like a little bit underexplored possibly but i think it's like so interesting that it seems like all dr manhattan wants to do is just like <laughs> date a younger woman <laughs> like he just wants to find a 20 year old woman every every few years and date her over and over again which is such a weird thing for like the most powerful being in the universe to want to do but it was like yeah sure like why why wouldn't that be all he wants to do um that was kind of like my favorite aspect of it was when 
they like reveal that Dr. Manhattan was like, hey, will you help me be like a regular guy with like my new hot girlfriend? And uh, Ozymandias was like, okay, if you'll give me infinite clones of Tom Meisen to do weird, bizarre fantasies with. Like, I was like, wow, that's, that's truly uh, hetero queer solidarity. Um, the one thing I did find off-putting about Dr. Manhattan was the whole thing with them, like, taking a random black guy's body and identity and taking it over. And I felt like they did it in sort of a weird way of, like, I felt like it was really cheating to have that be a black woman's idea and she is okay with it. And then Ozymandias is the only person who's like, hey, isn't that fucked up? I was like, it felt like you're giving yourself a pass by having that be the person who's okay with it and then that be the person who thinks it's wrong. You know what I mean? Um, but then, uh, yeah, Laurie, I agree, was like really good. The casting was great. They and they got her hair really right. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, obviously, like Jeremy Irons as Ozymandias is so perfect. And that was that was the character I liked the most in the comic. And I was so happy that they're they like knew they were like, okay, he should be very physically beautiful. He should clarify he's never had sex with a woman. I was like, yes, you, you get it. There is absolutely nothing at all surprising about that being your favorite character. I, I could have won <laughs> money know. on that with the Vegas odds, except the odds would have been one-to-one, so. <laughs> I, I mentioned him being the the money character to my friend the other night uh, when we were having dinner and she was like, uh, that is so weird to me. I did not think about him at all. And I just, uh, just surprised me. (laughs) I just expect everyone to be like, obviously that's the good character. (laughs) He makes, he puts out (laughs) little gymnastics videos of himself. Watchmen is so influential why aren't there more super geniuses who are like, also, obviously, you should buy <laughs> buy a tape of me doing little exercises. You, uh, one of the the supplemental things in in the comics was like his notes on advertising strategies. And they're all like weirdly prescient. <laughs> like, hmm, interesting. I feel like I did read like, that, I, but there I was a perfume ad where he's like, I. Uh, the model needs to be more androgynous, which was not a thing in the 80s. And later, it was more of a, a valid strategy. Valid in the sense that people were doing it, not in the sense mm. that I'm saying it's okay. You know what I mean. It came off like me going, yeah, it was okay to do it <laughs> right. at that point. Uh, no, I mean, it, it was a thing that people were doing. It's <laughs> like, yeah, he's that guy's got his finger on the pulse. Now, yeah. oh, uh, can I just about oh, sorry, them go ahead. using a random black man's body? I do think the one thing that saves mm. that is that it's a dead body. Because if you remember, which came right, out yes. after this, after people had digested this and said maybe that's not okay, 
Wonder Woman 84, where Steve Trevor just takes over the body of a guy and gets to do what he wants <laughs> with it. And it's like, I don't know, man, this is maybe a, this is a guy who has a life, maybe a spouse, and you're, uh, no, it, like, that bothered me way more simply because of the dead body aspect. Yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> yes. You know, there, somebody, <laughs> I, I, you know, there were people who said it was, uh, you know, appropriation for him to be black, but I, and I am not in a position to disagree with anybody on it. That that's valid. I just, I guess I don't think of Doctor Manhattan as being human. So, you know, he he was a white guy at some point. Now he's some sort of energy thing. But again, anybody who feels differently, they're probably right. That's just how it occurs to me watching <laughs> it. And if somebody, uh, yeah, I'm willing to. I'm. I'll meet you there. But it, it bothered me less than Wonder Woman 84, which Can... is, it was so bad. Yeah, that sounds Also, bad. the villain is a genie. Well, um, oh, so just since we were bringing up, like, the little, uh, you know, extra things in between issues um, and also talking about Ozymandias, can I bring up an incredibly... I know this is like so nitpicky because it's a random line for an interview, but it drives me insane. <laughs> so there's this moment where he's being interviewed and someone asks him about Dr. Manhattan's politics. And he's like, what do you prefer, black ants or red ants? And the interviewer is like, I don't know, I've never thought about it. And it is insane to me. That you would use that to make that they point. Might. Red ants are the bad ones. Clearly. <laughs> Obviously. There's such an obvious good and bad in that example. <laughs> there, there, there are so many other animals you could have chosen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, the interviewer should have said the ones that aren't harmful. <laughs> the, the ones that can't skeletonize a person, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I'm interested to get your take on this because you are generally more thoughtful than I. And uh, uh, also, I'm trying to come up with a... I hope it's okay to say it this way. You're sort of my go-to for gay stuff. Okay. I'm so honored. That's all I want. I was really impressed with the way they fleshed out. I mean, what they did with Hooded Justice was genuinely shocking. First off. And like here's the one of the Watchmen prequels. They the only fact we know about Hooded Justice is that he's gay. Like and they speculate he's maybe a German expat. Mm -hmm. In one of the non-Alan Moore prequels that I referred to as garbage earlier, they made him a Nazi war criminal. And it was like, oh, no, this is all unpleasant. Oh, wow. But to me, that episode of where she's she's reliving her grandfather's life, and I don't know, it struck me as very powerful, but I say this as a uh, often clueless straight man who needs to occasionally be educated, and I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> what you came away with. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, as we talked about, it it would be difficult to not improve upon <laughs> the comics in that aspect. <laughs> like, sh- showing him do literally anything is, you know, um, an improvement. Um, I didn't have too strong of feelings on it. Um, I loved that. <laughs> this this is not me damning it with faint praise. Genuinely loved that Captain <laughs> Metropolis was like unbelievably hot, and I do, I do think that is weirdly one of Damon Lindelof's biggest strengths is just like putting beautiful bodies on screen. Um, but uh, yeah, I did. I didn't have too strong of feelings on it it was nice that that relationship was like a part of it because it is so brushed over uh in the comics um and i mean my my favorite aspect of it was that they the entire thing is like an elaborate clown on ryan murphy (laughs) because they 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 open with the american hero story and it's funny because like Watching it, you're like, okay, maybe they don't care that much about parodying Ryan Murphy. They just thought, you know, American Hero Story was a fun title. But then when you see that it's (laughs) Cheyenne Jackson, you're like, oh, that's exactly who Ryan Murphy would cast. (laughs) Yeah. A a thing I really liked about it, too, was... uh, um as long as they've existed superheroes have been been metaphors for for i mean i guess you wouldn't call it you wouldn't have called it code switching until recently but you know i mean the earliest superheroes were created by you know usually jewish kids who lived in paralyzing fear of what was happening in europe and you know it's about like so many so many people who created comics had to hide their identity because they were Jewish in the late 30s early 40s and you know superman is about a guy who becomes somebody different by putting on a pair of glasses and you know then it became about you know for a long time uh, the x men were about civil rights and then it became about about gay rights and uh you know to this day it's superheroes with which is a weird thing about the marvel movies is that nobody has a secret identity except for spider-man like maybe they just didn't want to milk that metaphor but what you see in hooded justice is a a a man who's who's uh hiding his sexuality and his race at the same time and like what really hit me this time was when the kid was putting was putting white makeup on and saying I'm just like you and maybe that was too cheesy for somebody who's smarter than me but I don't know that really that really hit me as this this like oh shit this is the kind of thing that that I am not good at thinking about <laughs> Yeah there's some really effective stuff with sort of like the vast chasm between Hooded Justice and Captain Metropolis, even though, you know, Captain Metropolis is also someone who has to hide a lot of himself in a lot of ways. But, like, I 
I really like the sort of quick moment where um, Captain Metropolis is in like a oh, propaganda yeah. poster that's like, uh, <laughs> thieves don't stand a chance. And like the thief is just like a sort of caricature black guy. Um, and yeah, I thought that was a good depiction of sort of like how you can have these intimate relationships with people who still like don't really understand um what you're going through um and yeah it was it was interesting that when he like asks him for help uh captain metropolis is just kind of like a coward yeah, they, i yeah they, i don't know something about their relationship was really i don't know i'm really glad that these characters who were just background matter in the comics got got fleshed out in this way and you know we're lucky enough mm-hmm. to have a a 21st century take on them because uh the captain metropolis we would have seen in comics in in 1988 would not have been good people would have tried hard but <laughs> it, it's it's honestly about ni- like 1998 before there's a a portrayal of a gay character in a mainstream comic that isn't uh that doesn't make you want to die inside (laughs) yeah um yeah i'm glad that there was a canon and non-insane gay relationship although i was definitely personally way more into whatever was happening (laughs) between ozymandias and his infinite clones of tom mizen especially my my favorite aspect is like having him perform in a play over and over where he plays (laughs) ozymandias's friend was just some incredible stuff (laughs) yeah that's that that man's that is that that guy knows what he likes. <laughs> you know, I, 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 we, we have not mentioned a character that I just absolutely love because he was so weird and completely original to the show, which is, uh, uh, and I'm going to call him my friend, even though I have no connection to him. Uh, my friend, Tim Blake Nelson as looking glass, <laughs> which is a, there's just mm. like the way they tied him in to the end of the comic and you know made him a weird awkward religious kid uh which definitely hits home from uh who EJ was at the time that that was happening <laughs> mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know just this guy who's still so so traumatized and freaked out that he has to live in a bunker and eat beans like Rorschach which is how uh, how <laughs> Watchmen conveys mental illness is you eat beans out of a can. And <laughs> that's also uh, how the Sims uh, portrays being mentally unwell. <laughs> I just really liked any scene. He there was just something. He was kind of the night owl of the of the TV show. Just as everything was kind of above his pay grade. Mm. But I liked all of his scenes. I, I think he's such a good actor. And, like, him questioning people in his weird box with imagery on the walls, those scenes were just all really effective for me. <laughs> and and Lori Blake just treats him like absolute garbage from the moment she shows up. Which is how Gene Smart would treat me. Oh. Uh. 
By the way, I love Lori Blake's relationship with like the younger historian. Um, the just like cut to her making him wear a mask while they have sex was such a like. It was such a surprise, but then when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Can I tell you a thing you would have learned on the internet at the time? He's the he's the slippery guy. Yes. So oh, clearly okay. had awakened something in him. There, there's masks, there's lube, I'm into it. Um uh, I so I was watching just to refresh my memory, uh, before hopping on the podcast, uh, just random YouTube video Watchmen explainers. And there was this one that very casually, it did not say any source of like how they know this. Um, but they very casually mentioned that Night Owl made that big <laughs> Dr. Manhattan sex toy for Lori. <laughs> Which like, as soon as they said that, I was like, that should have been a full episode of the show. I only want to know about that. <laughs> that yeah, that's that does not warrant being talked ta- that's that needs to be in the post show explainer they put on all of their HBO shows. I I want David Lindelof, <laughs> right. Gene Smart, and somehow get Alan Moore in there to talk about it. Oh, can I can I mention something <laughs> about the comic? Which I've talked about how how I, I reread it and Yeah. One thing that is becoming more and more clear, and I've had to read about it because I'm not this perceptive, is the the art, which is beautiful. Dave Gibbons is an incredible artist who is, he is not flashy, but he can draw everything. But there, how much uh, like like parallelism there is in it and, and repeated motifs. And like every, I think every issue open or ends on a panel that's the 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 composition is the same but it's of different things and there is one issue i think it might be issue six where it's a it's a nine panel grid almost all the way through there's only a few few exceptions and uh i'm sort of obsessed with people doing nine panel grids in comics because my my favorite comic creator keith giffen loves nine panel grids he does them exclusively these days but the there's an issue with Azamandi with it really focuses on him. It's the one where somebody tries to assassinate him and he actually has his action scene, which is not a nine panel grid, but that issue mm-hmm. uh that happens at the exact midpoint of the issue, and if you go back, it's a mirror image like the issue is a mirror image of itself in terms of the like oh, you know their second panel on the it's hard to explain, but if you start at the last panel and the first panel, and I think that's called yes, okay, a chiastic yes, structure. I hope I'm not wrong, and I, I'm not that perceptive that I picked. <laughs> I mean, there were there were motifs I noticed, but there's really just brilliant stuff with panel layout and the number of ways he can incorporate. Uh, he can he can uh, reference the smiley face with the blood trickle without actually having a smiley face with a blood trickle. Which they don't do a lot of in the show, but right, instead yeah. it was eggs. Which doesn't necessarily right. <laughs> jump out until you know it's important at the end, and you go, oh yeah. But I think a bonus of the comic was 
the first time you see eggs in the show is when she's doing that cooking demonstration. And she breaks the eggs in the Watchmen's smiley face symbol. Which makes you go, oh, oh okay. eggs might be important. Because the smiley face is so important to the visuals <laughs> of the comic. Um, I, I think that might be all of my, my pedantic nerd stuff. Uh, but I love, and here's a, I said I was done with pedantic nerd stuff, but uh, one thing that I was just, I've been thinking about since you signed me up to do this, uh, in other words, vaguely alluded to it, and I'm like, yes, anything. Uh, I first read Watchmen <laughs> the same time I started reading Sandman. And uh, mm -hmm. there's a really, if, if you, re which, which I guarantee you do not want to do, but if somebody wants to sit and listen to me for a while uh, in some other context, there's a whole thing with like the British writers coming into comics in the 80s and they're, Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman are sort of diametrically opposed to one another. And Grant Morrison is this crazy ass third element who doesn't really factor into this, but I love that guy, so let's mention him. Um, like, mm -hmm. Sandman is genuinely beautifully written. It's, I am sorry I burped. Uh, it's beautifully written. It's really elegant. I, I love it. It has a place in my heart. I am never going to reread Sandman. Um, and part of it is it's so, mm -hmm. and deliberately so, it's so tied into who I was when I was reading it, which is a sad late high school, early college student who was mopey all the time. Like the lead character of Sandman, who is one of the most <laughs> inert protagonists in fiction. He's Bartleby the Scrivener, basically. <laughs> um, and it part of it is it's just so tied to that. I don't like being reminded of being that person. Whereas Watchmen is not necessarily mm. specifically tied to who I was. Uh, yes, is there a fat guy with glasses? Yes, there is. But I didn't have glasses at the time. <laughs> And I just can't, and I, I, you know, I'm watching the TV show and I'm going, yeah, this is, this is really well done. And I'm, it's reminding me of how much I like the comic. I will never, I cannot imagine rereading Sandman, which also is, in so, it does have something to do with the fact that uh, uh, Morpheus's dialogue is white on a black balloon, which at my age is unreadable. It is, it is just, <laughs> I have to. I have to read it through my phone and then blow it up to be able to read it. But, you know, I'm going to, I'll read Watchmen, you know, fairly regularly until I, well, let's be honest, probably if I have kids, I'll probably have to stop rereading old comics because you suddenly have a lot of responsibilities. But I see coming back to Watchmen for as long as I'm, interested in reading comics which based on how my life has gone up to this point is uh, looks to be for the near future at least and you know in 1992 if you'd asked me which I like better I don't know that I could have answered it and maybe I still can't uh, I just know there's one I'm going to come back to and one that will live in my memory as being perfect but I do not need to see it again um, that said, I'm enjoying the show because I don't have to read that text and also, 
you know, the, the imagery is all different, <laughs> so it's not the physical act of looking at the pages. Um, and maybe as right. it gets further in to the more emotional stuff, I will suddenly be like, oh, no, I don't want to read. I don't want to watch this now either. But I don't know. That's just I, I come mm -hmm. back to Watchmen, you know. Um, I don't know. That's probably not of interest to anyone but me, but it's a thing I'm working through. <laughs> okay, good to know. Uh, I'm trying to think of like big uh, moments in the TV show I definitely wanted to talk about. Um, were there any, especially as someone like very familiar with the comic, uh, just like particular scenes and stuff that really um, lit up your brain? The boy. I feel like we've addressed most of them, uh, most of episode six, which was the flat, which was, you know, it's it's black and white. And it's about these these marginal characters from the original, and like everything about it was really interesting to me. And when she has her long conversation with Doctor Manhattan, and he's wearing a Doctor Manhattan mask, that that's genius. <laughs> yeah, that was the, really well filmed. You know, yeah. The, uh, episode five, which is the midpoint, so that would be the point where Watchmen reflects in on itself based on the comic, and it focuses on Looking Glass, which had to be intentional. Um, <laughs> the the wow. opening where he's in the he's naked in the Hall of Mirrors when New York is attacked, or fa you know what I mean, and just like this scared naked kid with broken mm. glass everywhere, and. Because in the comic, there's like there's a two-page spread of what New York looks like, and you don't really, like, you just read all the devastation into that, and there's not really a human face on it. And in this, it's and then he comes out and, mm -hmm. and sees the, you know, there's maybe two people alive at this whole amusement park. Like I don't know, that was very, that that hit. I I can't really handle horror. That's as close as I come, and it's like, oh God, I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I feel like we've talked about most of them. I think the tiny weird squid falling from the sky is very funny. Uh, everything with <laughs> with uh, Ozymandias just looked terrific. That his steampunk spaceship or spacesuit, and just the weird <laughs> scene of him catapulting corpses that disappear in the sky. You know what? When he actually puts on the Ozymandias costume, it should have been silly, but it's like. Oh, that's actually awesome. Yeah, I really like that. And I I hadn't seen any of the Zack Snyder movie until today when I was watching those YouTube videos. But I hate how the movie um, seemed to try to make his outfit like more like manly yeah. and like more badass, which I was like, no, he... Looks like yes. he put out exercise videos in the 80s because he literally <laughs> put out exercise videos in the 80s. <laughs> um, an another visual I really liked is um, when you see James Wolk in the little Dr. Manhattan underwear, I was like, I love that he must have like <laughs> had those made. Like he was like, I need to be in the Dr. Manhattan yeah, underwear. It's a little too edgy for an underwear company, I think. Can I point out a weird little <laughs> casting thing? 
and I, I hmm. only realized he was one of my favorite character actors is in it, and I didn't realize it till I saw the credits, and I had to watch it again to be sure. The, the guy that Lori arrests at the bank when it's like the sting operation. The the, the vigilante vigilante who's got most like you really just see his mouth under his I can't remember his name but basically her first scene. Mm-hmm. That's Lee Turgeson. Yeah. Yeah, Lee Turgeson. Oh, of, interesting. Of Oz and like all this great stuff, and he's got like three lines, and his face is covered. And it's like, man, they went just <laughs> way overqualified for this role. It makes me think Lee Turgeson really wow. likes Watchmen, and he was just excited. Because that's the guy you'd, you'd maybe cast, that should have been cast in the it's... movie as Night Owl. Oh, for sure, yeah. When I, one of the only things I knew about it was that Patrick Wilson is in it, and I just assumed he was Ozymandias, and finding out that he, like, gained weight to be Night Owl is so weird. I like that Hollywood Patrick is Wilson so weird. has a... Uh, He's done two superhero movies now. He has been uh, a Night Owl and Ocean Master in Aquaman. And it is arguably the characters right. with the dumbest costumes. And they look, they're the ones who are the most literally <laughs> translated to screen. Like, Ocean Master is the only character in Aquaman who looks at all like any comic book version of that. And they just went, yeah, this weird guy with his armor? Sure, perfect. Put it on screen. <laughs> Can I tell you a thing about the Watchmen movie real quick? It is, this is a perfect example of Zack Snyder's subtlety. Uh, Zack Snyder wanted to indicate that maybe (laughs) Ozymandias is gay. Do you know how he did this? Mm -hmm. When they get into his laptop. Let's hear it. uh, When when they have to hack it with that, that is a thing that. I hope this is a uh, Smithers, oh, you're no, so good sadder. at turning me on thing. I mean, it, it's funnier, but it's like, oh, Zach Okay. Snyder. The way he indicates that is there is a, once they get into his computer, there is a folder on the desktop labeled boys. <laughs> oh, my God. That is my favorite thing I've ever that, heard. That's Zach Snyder. <laughs> He's a. Ah. <sighs> Now I like that movie's interpretation of it. Yeah. He should be Matthew Good and he should have a folder on his computer labeled points. Oh. So, so many ways you could make that point and giving him a boys folder was... Speaking of indicating that he might be gay, I do really love that when he tells True that it's not possible that he has a daughter, he's like, I've never given myself to a woman. It's just like the funniest way you could phrase that. I I love Jeremy Irons' uh, commitment to every time he gets cast as a DC character, he wants you to know they're gay. Because his Alfred is... That is... It is an amazing performance in movies I did not enjoy. But it's like, yep, he went for it. It's not on the page, but he's putting it on the screen. In a way that is not insulting, I don't think. Their scenes are so weird. (laughs) Yeah. 
Those scenes are fun because, like, obviously I would generally think that, like, shipping Bruce and Alfred is disgusting, but when it's Ben Affleck, you're like, eh, I guess once once Bruce is 50, they could just go for it. <laughs> he has to be 50 years old, and then it, it's like, eh, It's a yeah, dynamic not that would point. not work for the Robert Pattinson Andy Circus shippers. Right? You're just going to have to keep doing your Twilight Lord of the Rings crossover fanfic I also almost said Sean Pertwee instead one. of Andy Serkis because, let's face it, Gotham Alfred is the best Alfred. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. I, uh, I want to make sure we get any big big Watchmen stuff you wanted to talk about, but I'm um, ready to, boy, I think to I've wrap up when you are. My main Watchmen feelings, I would like to note that after decades of not merchandising it, like that was how they were respectful to Alan Moore, then they went, oh no, we could make money with this. We're going to make action figures. And they made an officially licensed Watchmen toaster that would burn Rorschach <laughs> images onto your toast. Oh my god. So, <laughs> hey. That's a thing that happened. I don't own that toaster, but I sort of wish I did. <laughs> and uh that's 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 all that's all I got. I'm trying to remember if there's any other really tacky merchandise. Um <laughs> No, I don't I Nope, I think that's all I've got. I am thrilled I got to talk about Watchmen for this long. Yeah, thank thank you for for joining me. I knew I like I it didn't really hit me, but I know that's not really the correct way to feel, so I wanted to get someone who who really loves the and the comics and the show. And your first exposure is in 2022 as an adult. That's that's in order for it to hit you that way, you would have to de-age and have a time machine. I mean, that's that that's not you misreading it. That's not that's the fact of of who you are now and the time at which it's happening. I mean, I'm not going to read anything now that's going to hit me the way Watchmen hit 17 year old EJ in 1992. Right. I want to be 17 again. And hanging out at a comic store while I'm waiting for the girl I like to get home so um, she could spend five minutes with me. <laughs> yeah, being a teen is truly miserable, but uh, media sure media fucking hits, man. That's the trade-off. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's get into some, right. some rating. Um. um uh, yeah, do you uh, want to go first? Why don't you go first so I can get the format right? Uh, yeah, sure. We just, uh, I always do it out of five. Um, so for the comic, I might revisit it and bump this up more. Um, but just like going off my experience, I would probably give it like a two and a half. There were like some points where I was like really addicted and really getting into it. And then there was a lot that was sort of tedious for me. Um, I think especially like Warshock and Comedian 
at this point mm-hmm. are like super cliche characters, which I like. I know it's unfair because they definitely like they made those cliches, but um, yeah, I think I think as far as my experience, it would be like a two and a half. And then I'm gonna give this show a two. I also do want to revisit that, but there was a lot in it that left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I think it made a lot of strange decisions. I kind of feel like if I was working at HBO and Damon Lindelof had been like, I'm going to use my Watchmen show to tackle Abolish the Police, I would have just been like, I mean, no. (laughs) um, But uh, yeah, so I'd give it a two out of five. Brutal. I know, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm not... I... it's terrible of me to be like, come, come, come on my podcast and talk about your favorite oh, things, so I oh, can. No, it's, it's, I, it, can I mean, give them people experience different things differently and at different phases in their life. That's, that's. I mean, that's the that's the fun of this. Um, the oh, boy, the comma. Yeah, I mean, my. You know, it's 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 just this seminal work that's going to be with me kind of forever and. Like, my main thing is liking superheroes. So it's, um, (laughs) you know what? I'm still going for because I think stuff that followed up on it and iterated it did certain things better. Um, And, you know, there is still, there are things that make me uncomfortable now. I mean, things we've addressed, the sexual violence and the, uh, you know, there there have been people who have also done incredible stuff in the genre that allows more than one woman to appear in an issue. You know, um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, anything that, yeah, I'm going to go for, there's, there, there's, yeah, I can think of things I would rate a five that I think are a little more compassionate maybe, but it's a, I think it's still an amazing achievement that kind of changed superheroes, uh, and you give me stuff to think about with the TV show, so I have to process because I I think ignored my own privilege when watching it, but also I have these emotional ties to the property, and I got to watch people I care about learn about this and enjoy it. So that's not really separated. So I, I'm going to go four on that also with the caveat that I feel weird about the police stuff. <laughs> yeah, to- totally fair to to still love yeah, it. I mean, it's it's Asimadius was flipping bodies into space with a catapult. <laughs> he, he was, was it, he was I would have watched so man. many seasons of with just the last ten minutes of an episode. We're just checking in on him <laughs> on his game preserve. If yeah, if someone told me, uh. You know, in the TV show, Ozymandias is going to be doing a US ca- USS Callister and also uh, the Prestige. I would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. So I'd like to end on a recommendation. Um, since I liked the comic better, I'll recommend a show. And um, it's funny you actually brought it up. Uh, but my recommendation is going to be Justice League Unlimited. I think that it does... A lot of the stuff that 
I loved about the comic um, as far as like building this ensemble and showing us these little stories to give to give each different character's perspective and show us who they are. Um, I think Justice League Unlimited does really that good. stuff really, really well. That's a good call. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. And then, um, yeah, since you rated the two of them the same, you can feel free to recommend a show or a comic or uh, book. You know what? Uh, I came into both. this with, with a comic I wanted to recommend. Um, and if you're, if you're interested in sort of okay. – uh, revisionist superheroes this is a a recent one that i think is truly incredible uh um yeah i'm actually gonna say two because it's the same creative team and format uh mr miracle and strange adventures uh they're both uh the they were these 12 issue series just like watchmen about really marginal dc characters uh, they're written by Tom King with art by Mitch, Mitch Gerards. Uh, Strange Adventures also had Evan Shaner. Uh, Mr. Miracle is a, uh, who you know from Justice League Unlimited, in fact. He's a, he's a, a guy who's incredibly important on another planet uh, where he was raised by Darkseid. And on Earth, he just wants to be an escape artist and live with his Amazon wife and have a normal life. And it's this series is about an aftermath of a suicide attempt on his part. And it's about him trying to reco- trying to, to reconcile these different parts of his life, but it's also he's having a kid with, with Big Barda. Uh, and also trying to solve the politics of apocalypse. And it's this really really clever take on these weird ass characters and uh strange adventures is about adam strange who is the most 1950s ass character you can imagine he is flash gordon with a fin (laughs) on his head and it's honestly about whether or not he's a war criminal and if he is what does that mean when he does superhero stuff on earth they are both really incredible i think uh just really smart, beautifully drawn, just really will leave you with a lot to think about. Yeah, that sounds really good. And All right, let's No, uh, I was just trying plugs. to Oh, did you have come up with a way to end that sounded better than what I said, but <laughs> No, yeah, you definitely made me want to read those. Um all right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And you can uh, get episodes two weeks earlier by subscribing to my Patreon. You can also check out my other podcast, uh, House of House, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, yeah, uh, I EJ, have a podcast called Fed Talks, uh, which is which has has a format now after about a year and a half, where I talk about short-lived TV mm-hmm. shows with the people who love them. Um where one or two season shows I will talk about with somebody who enjoyed that show. And I tried to schedule this uh, for the release of this episode coming out on the 24th will be an episode where I talk to one Lenny about American Vandal. That's already recorded. Mm-hmm. It was super fun. Um, uh, I, 
I've always been shy about about plugging my podcast because most of the time it is me talking about the Marvel and James Bond movies I watched that week. And just and I still do that on the in between because I don't know enough people to do a guest episode every week. <laughs> and also, I'm rewatching so many shows for this right now. Somebody picked a two season network show that has 26 episodes. Oh, you son of a bitch. Uh, but I I'm really proud of these guest episodes. Uh, definitely check out the American Vandal one. You can check out the first one where I talk with my friend Sam about John from Cincinnati, which it will sound like we are making up everything that we're saying because there's no way that's a real show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Fed Talks, I have a TV website called The Ape Hive, theapehive.com, that I usually forget to update, uh, but I'm trying to get back into it. Um, I'm writing about how The Simpsons is having a surprising resurgence now in season 33. Um, uh, so check that out. Um, and if you like it, you can get a t-shirt with the Ape Hive logo, which is the best thing about the site at teasebysummer.com. It's a really good logo of a monkey. I actually had plugs. I feel so dirty. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Hey, this is thank you this so is much my, for being here. I have said yeah. on my podcast that I would probably uh, never be on this again because you get real guests. <laughs> I am always happy to have you. You're one of my favorite people. Oh, thank to you hear so talk much. I appreciate TV. it. I appreciate you doing my show. Um, we 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 we've, we've got a we've got a fun podcast symbiosis. Hey, everyone! Uh, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>